entire chapter 10 uh, this morning in one service. Uh, years, several years back, we went through the book of Romans verse by verse and phrase by phrase. It took us about 18 months to do that. And uh, this morning, I'd like for us to cover uh, an entire chapter, and I want you to pay close attention. I mean, I, I believe that you're in church for a reason. And if you don't know what that reason is, I'm going to give it to you right now. So you can learn something on how to order your life from this book called the Bible. When I was a young preacher, uh, people would say, well, are you trying to tell me what to do? And, oh, no, no. Uh, now that I'm a little older and a little wiser... I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm trying to tell you what God said you ought to do. I mean, there, this book is the definitive treatise on God's love for mankind. The words of this book tells us the things that we ought to do. And as we look here in Romans chapter 10, we are... Uh, it's, it's a famous chapter. If you've ever heard about the Romans Road, the Romans Road ends in chapter 10. Uh, explaining some, to someone how to be saved. But uh, uh, another aspect of this, something that we need to understand why the Romans Road ends in chapter 10 is because Paul the Apostle, under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, is peeling back and letting us see his heart. Letting us see what makes the Apostle Paul tick. What, what is in his innermost soul. And we start in verse 1 and he says, Brethren, he's writing to the Christians in the city of Rome. There was already a church there. By the way, Peter didn't start it. Peter hadn't even been to Rome. He said, who started the church in Rome? Nobody knows. But if you'll read Acts chapter 2, there were people from Rome on the day of Pentecost. They heard the message and they went back. And that's how the church got started in Rome. And we'll take care of that another time. That's just an aside. But Paul's writing to this church. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He said, my prayer daily, my heart's desire. I don't know if you've ever had something that has so affected your heart that it just dominated everything that was going on in your life. Most of us have been there at one time or another. I'll tell you, if you're a parent and you have a sick child, you're going to pray. I'll tell you, if you're a grandparent, and uh, I'll tell you, I prayed and prayed for Ashley and little Chloe. Because she'd had a cesarean the first time, and we were praying for a natural delivery the second time, and things were not 
really going that great and all of a sudden everything stopped for about 12 hours and fortunately they had a very patient doctor and, and hospital that wasn't trying to rush things along and little Chloe came in her own good time. Stubborn little girl, takes after her daddy, amen. And uh, came in her own good time, in her own good way. But I really say that there was prayer there. Because there's a lot of people praying. And God doesn't choose to answer every prayer the way we want, but sometimes He puts things on our heart so that we will pray. And Paul's saying here, you want, to, you want to see what's on my heart? I mean, you read Paul's life. Why was he stoned in Berea? Uh, not Berea. I, Iconium, he was stoned. Why was he stoned? Because Jewish people stirred up the mines and started a riot. What happened in Ephesus? Who did that? Jewish people set the whole... Well, it was Dimitri and his silversmiths, but then the, the Jewish people there thought that they would take this mob and turn them to their advantage against Paul and try to destroy him. And I mean, the, for two hours, this entire city, hundreds of thousands of people in the amphitheater there at Ephesus screamed at the top of their lungs, Great is Diana of Ephesus, for two hours straight... Every problem that Paul had in his life as a Christian was because of persecution from the very people that he started out working with to persecute Christians. And Paul said, my heart's desire. He said, what gets me praying more than anything, if I stop and let my mind run, I start praying for my people Israel that they'll be saved. He said, that's my heart's desire. He said, I want you to understand. And Paul had some pretty harsh things to say about the Jewish people. Read, read the book of Romans. I met a guy one time and he said, it says to the Jew first in Romans chapter 1. I said, yes, it does. I said, but did you ever read Romans chapter 2? It says trial and tribulation to the Jew first. I've never heard one of those guys preach on that passage. You see, what it's doing is it's stating the historical steps, the historical timeline of the doctrine of God. Salvation had to come to the Jewish people first because they had the Scriptures. You wonder why the Apostle Paul was able to be in a town for two weeks and leave a church there? It was because he had a whole group of men that had done nothing but study the Bible their whole life. And now they understood that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies. They were ready trained preachers. That's why it took 18 months in Corinth to leave a church that was full of trouble. And he was three years in Ephesus. And still, lots of problems. You know why? Because he didn't have that strong base of people who were trained in the Scriptures. There is a connection between your Old and New Testament. Don't listen to somebody that wants to chop your Bible up into little tiny pieces. It's one book, amen? 
And Paul said, listen, the Jewish people, Jesus is a Jew, amen? His heritage, uh, people have looked and said, why don't you get rid of stars of David in the window? Jesus was a Jew, you know that? We're not afraid of that. And my rejoinder is, you show up with the money and I'll get the windows fixed, amen? And uh, I haven't had any takers yet, so they'll probably be there for a long time. And even if you gave me the money, I don't know that I'm going to take them all out, amen? Because it's the character of the building. And we're not afraid of what the Bible teaches. And we ought to have a heart that all people, including the Jewish people, would hear the gospel. But Paul was raised in that deception. Paul was trained more than any other man in all of that in his heart was that they would hear and understand the truth of Jesus Christ. He prayed. He wept. He says, My prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Verse 2, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Paul's making an indictment here. He says, I bear them record. Why was Paul able to bear them record? Because he knew everything there was to know about the traditions and the religion of the Jewish people in his day. He understood it. He knew it. If you read in Philippians, he, he said, concerning the law, blameless. I mean, how many people could make that statement? But Paul could in good conscience. He was that kind of guy. He said that they have a zeal of God. Now, that word zeal is not used much in modern English. But it just simply means an ardent love or affection, a fervent devotion or attachment to a person or thing. Now, that's from the Oxford English Dictionary. I'd like to give credit when I quote. They have a zeal. They have a fervent attachment. And let me explain something here. We, we have a doctrine that is passed around in society as a whole. If you're really sincere, it's okay. Well, could I challenge you today that sincerity never has been and never can be and never will be a test of truth? I don't care how sincere you are or how good you feel about something. What was that guy's name? I mean, I don't listen to that kind of music. I don't know it at all. I think his name is Jim Brown, wrote a song, It Feels So Good or something like that. Uh, And several of those guys over the years have written songs about feeling good. And, and, And let me tell you, Apparently they do because they destroy their body with drugs and alcohol and immorality and every other thing. Let me tell you, sincerity 
having a zeal, does not prove truth. Truth does not need to be proven. In fact, some of the most zealous people that we've ever had in history died for a lie. Isn't it true? I mean, you talk about Napoleon soldiers. Were they not zealous for their emperor? Oh, my. How about the Nazis? When they put them on trial at the end of the war for the horrendous and... I mean, there's just no way to, to describe what they did other than unadulterated evil. But if you ever got one that really believed it, they said, we did what was right. That's zeal. And ardent love. Or attachment. You talk about these ISIS fighters. What would make a human being do those things to another human being. You've got to lose all sense of your humanity to treat another human being that way. Could I challenge you? Zeal is what makes them do that. Zeal is not a test of truth. You see, in order to keep their zeal of God... They've got to do things that are against everything that God teaches. I met some people of the Catholic faith. Boy, I'll tell you what. My mother was a Catholic. My grandmother was a Catholic. My great-grandmother was a Catholic. I was born a Catholic. I'm going to die Catholic. And I go, wow. said, my grandfather immigrated from Italy in 1905. He's a Catholic. He'd get in a fist fight over it. But I think he, my dad told me he went to church twice from 1905 to 1966 when he died. But praise the Lord, an old-time Bible preacher talked to him before he died. And he tells the story of my grandfather in an oxygen tent Trusting Jesus as his Savior. That's all I got to hold on to about my grandfather. I, I hope and pray the story's real and the story's true. I don't hold a lot of faith in deathbed conversions. Because the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. It says you need to make a choice today. And if you don't mind me getting ahead of my sermon a little bit, could I challenge you that the absolute worst thing that you can do is die and not give a solid testimony of your faith in God to your family? I mean, that is the most horrible thing that you can do. Every once in a while, I get called on to preach a funeral and and they'll say, well, uh, we just don't know. And that, I'll tell you what, I hate preaching funerals like that. The only one I hate worse is when we do know. And it's not good. But I don't mind preaching the funeral of someone 
who got saved, who knew the Lord. And I'll tell you what, it's a joy to preach a funeral of someone who lived for God all their life and gave a strong testimony of knowing Jesus. That's not a sorrowful thing. That's rejoicing. They finished their course. And we've come a little far afield here, but I want you to understand something. Paul is explaining his burden for the salvation of his people. And he said they have a zeal, but it's not according to knowledge. You see, if you do not have God's righteousness... You're going to do things that set your own standards of righteousness. And that's amazing if we compare religion. And what is a standard of righteousness versus what God says in His Word is the standard of righteousness. There is no religion invented by man that has come anywhere close to what the Bible says. And I mean, they try. I mean, if you want to study in human evil, study the monasteries. These were people who claimed to want to get away from the world and separate themselves from the world so they could be devoted wholly to God. And yet, if you, and, and I'm, not, I'm not asking you to do this or even recommending it, would you take my word for it? It is one of the darkest chapters of human depravity that we have record of. These were people who separated themselves from the world so that they could serve God, and yet inside the walls of those monasteries, some of the most unbelievable deeds of depravity were committed. I I couldn't even describe it today. Graveyards were found underneath the monasteries. Terrible, terrible deeds. And why were they there? To establish their own righteousness. I I want to challenge you. If you're trying to establish your level of righteousness. If you look in the mirror and you're trying to figure out. how, How good you are. Whether you're good enough to go to heaven. Let me tell you something. Every day you're adding wickedness to your list. I met a guy yesterday passing out tracts. He says, I I think the Ten Commandments is the good thing. I said, I said, but nobody keeps them. He says, yes, that's right. But we try. And I said, no, the commandments were not there for you to try to be righteous. The commandments there were to convict you as a sinner. They were to show that you don't match God's standard of holiness. I've never met someone trying to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments could even tell me more than two or three of them, let alone all ten. So next time somebody says, well, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. Could you tell me the Ten Commandments? 
shake them up a little bit. You see, according to the religion of Islam, I'm supposed to, I I have three goals for you. Number one is your conversion. Number two is your enslavement if you won't convert. And number three, if I can't enslave you, I'm to kill you. That's what the Quran teaches. You have any questions, look it up. You have any questions, read your newspaper. Fortunately for the world, most Muslims are like most other members of most religions. They just don't do much, fortunately. But if they have to lie to you and befriend you with false friendship and then kill you, they'll do that. That's part of the morality of their quote-unquote faith in God. Uh, That's a standard of righteousness that I think any honest person would have a problem with. Because it's the same standard that they use on Wall Street to make another buck, isn't it? It's the same standard they use in the nightclubs to sell you another dirty DVD or CD or whatever. I don't understand that. I'm sorry. When I was a kid, if somebody came up and started cussing at me, uh, it was time to get in a fight. Either you shut up or get out of here. Or or we're going to make sure that this thing doesn't go any farther. You're not going to talk about me that way. And yet people go down to the store and they go on to iTunes and they spend money to pay for things so they can listen to somebody call them every dirty name in the book. I don't get it. I mean, that doesn't even qualify as stupid in my book. I I mean, palm trees have more intelligence, but we do it. Why? I'll tell you why. Because we, just like the people who have Paul's burden, are trying to establish our own sense of righteousness, and we are ignoring and denying the righteousness of God to the point where in this country it has become an evil thing to call sin, sin. Why does God call sin? Name sins in the Bible and call them and judge them as sin? Quote it with me if you know it. Because sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God calls sin, sin because it destroys. There is nothing called sin in the Bible that will do you any good. It will only harm you. It will only bring harm to others. Every time I think about this, there's one guy that comes to my mind. Mick Jagger. One of the most evil men that's ever lived. And you know what? We might say that he's gotten away with it because he's still alive. But I just wonder how many people died in the gutters of life with a tourniquet around their arm trying to inject drugs because Mick Jagger sang about in his filthy songs. Died of diseases that they contracted trying to fulfill their desires listening to the songs that that man sang. 
You want somebody that's zealous, look at the rock and roll crowd. Let me tell you something. There's some zealous people. But here's what the Bible says. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. I want to challenge you that if you want to know the truth, if you want Bible salvation, if you want to end up on the right side of eternity, you are going to have to submit yourself to the righteousness of God. And what happens when we do that? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For there is none righteous, no, not One, when I submit myself to the righteousness of God, I am condemning myself as a sinner in the presence of a holy God. What did Jesus tell the Pharisees? He said, there is more rejoicing over one sinner that finds repentance than there is over ninety and nine that don't need it. And, by the way, can you hear just a little touch of sarcasm in that don't need it part? Because there's no human being that doesn't need it. What Jesus was saying was, there's no rejoicing in heaven over you people who think you don't need repentance. But for everyone that does submit themselves to the righteousness of God, there is rejoicing in heaven. Verse 4, this is going to take you only one place. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You study the laws of this Old Testament, my friend. And I have. I couldn't name you all 613. But I'll tell you what, I can give you a lot of them. And I can tell you how every one of them relates to Jesus Christ. Many of them, the ceremonies in the tabernacle and later the temple, the ceremonies that were to be fulfilled there, every sacrifice points to Jesus Christ. The offering of the incense, and we've been through this years uh, years ago, and, and maybe we need to do it again, but it talks about our prayers and how we ought to pray to God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And as you entered the temple, on the right was the table of the showbread. And in John chapter 8, he talked about being the light of the world. And that was uh, what he was and claimed to be in, in John chapter 8. And we look down through this in verse 5 of, of Romans chapter 10. It says, For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. I'll tell you what, there's only one way that you can be righteous according to Moses' law. You had to do the things that Moses said. Now, this building used to be a synagogue. It, It took us a long time to get rid of all the time clocks. Some of you might remember the big boxes on the walls in the basement. Well, you see, you're not to work on the Sabbath day. And yet they met and they worshipped on the Sabbath day. You're not to kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. 
Well, I want to challenge you, and every one of those light bulbs above your head is a fire. And so they had to deal with that. How are we going to have light on the Sabbath day? Because if we flip the switch, then we're kindling a light. Well, they would hire some of the neighbors to come in and turn on the lights. And then somebody actually, I must have known an electrician, because then everything was put on time clocks. And so the time clock would turn on the lights so that they wouldn't break the Sabbath. And yet I met a Seventh-day Adventist at the building we used to rent. And I said, what do you do about that? Well, God understands. I want to challenge you. God doesn't understand that stuff. You read. A man was stoned for picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. When God said no work, he meant no work. You see, the Sabbath was never intended to be a day of worship. It's intended to be a day of rest. You see, you cannot establish your righteousness by measuring yourself against the law because you're going to come up short, my friend. The law is there to convict you. The law is there to judge you as a sinner. The law is there. Look at verse 6, and we come through a difficult passage here, but I think we're going to get this if you follow along with me. It says, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. It's not about the things you do. Verse 5, which is the law of Moses, it says, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. I've heard people say, If we could just ascend into heaven and see what's written in heaven, we would know. That's what Paul's addressing here. He said, don't say that. That's foolishness. That's to bring Christ down again through Bethlehem's manger and through the cross. And all these things were done. These things are recorded We don't need to do it again. What we need to do is believe what has happened. It says, well, maybe if I could descend into hell and talk to some of those people down there. Years ago, somebody made a movie called Escape from Hell. It was supposed to be something that would scare Christians into getting saved. Could I challenge you? It didn't work very well. Luke chapter 16. What, I mean 15, or 16, yes. What did the, Moses tell the rich man who was in hell? He said, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen though one rose from the dead. Paul said, listen, the word is nigh thee. I've had people question and argue over the years. Well, how did, how did someone get saved in the Old Testament? Didn't they get saved through the sacrifices? No. 
You're saved the same way from Adam to the book of Revelation. For by grace, that's God's goodness, unmerited favor, what we don't deserve, are you saved through faith. Now, what is faith? Faith is believing God's word to the point of obedience. How did Daniel maintain his relationship with God when the temple had been destroyed in Jerusalem and he was a captive in Babylon? Could I challenge you by faith? He prayed to God three times a day. Now, if you pray to God three times a day, will you get saved? No, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Christ is the end of the law. Only He fulfilled it. Only He did not break one of its least commandments. And we come here to the, to the crux of this passage, the center part. It says that if thou shalt confess... This is the word of faith. This is what we preach. Now, if you've heard me say this before, I I don't apologize. I love the songs. I didn't actually pick them for this morning, but if I would have, I have, I, I wouldn't have picked anything different. I love to tell the story. I, I love that last verse, For those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting. I, I like to hear how I got saved. How about you? You see, one of the reasons I love my old King James Bible, and I'm not trading it in for one of them newfangled things, is because it's much clearer in your King James than it is in any modern translation. The these and the thous are important. They were Old English in 1611 when your Bible was translated. They were brought back into use because in modern English we just have one word for second person. We have you. You singular, you plural. How are you supposed to tell the difference? Well, in your King James Bible, you can tell the difference without even trying. Thee, thou, thy, thine. Singular, you as an individual. Ye, you, your, yours. Plural. That's why it says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. You're not supposed to do that by yourself. But here it says that if thou, you have to get saved by yourself. Nobody can do it for you. You're not saved because you were born into a Christian family. People said, was your dad a preacher? No. My dad was a machinist. He made little pieces of metal out of big pieces of metal. And he told me one thing, whatever you do, boy, in your life, don't be a machinist. That's all. Lord made me a preacher. Amen. That if thou shalt confess. Now, that word confess, I think, is where most people miss heaven. I don't believe there's a person... I don't want to believe there's a person in this auditorium this morning that is sitting there looking at me as a preacher saying, I want to go to hell. 
uh, I would have a hard time believing that someone actually thought that way and showed up at church and could put up with with uh, all, all my preaching for 45, 50 minutes or maybe even longer today. We don't know yet. But uh, and, and just had a total disregard for the Word of God. I'm sure people have come here that are like that. But the word confess does not mean I hope so. The word confess means a statement of truth. If you get any old history book and study the history of religions, you will find that there is a thing called a confession of faith. The whole modern day jurisprudence system that we have is actually finds some of its roots in the Inquisition of the Middle Ages. And the word confess was to state the truth. What do you believe? Could you believe you were put to death in England for saying the Lord's Prayer in English in the 1400s and 1500s? That's modern history, my friend. In medieval Europe, they would ask you one question. Is the bread his body? And they would word it different ways. And if you said no, they burnt you alive at the stake. We say they can't believe that. Well, the word confess means to tell the truth. Hell is full of people today, and I'm pleading with your souls today. Hell is full of people today who wanted Jesus to be their Savior. Who wanted to go to heaven someday. Who thought that uh, knew of a place called hell and said, I don't want to go there. But they never confessed. The word confess means to tell the truth. Years ago, I, I confessed something. I went to an altar, I said, I do, and I put on a ring. Great thing, isn't it, Jason? Just got married a couple weeks ago. But I'll tell you what. If you do that of God and under His direction, it only gets better. Confession is a statement of truth. What is the statement of truth? Well, look at it. It's right there in the passage. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what's the statement of truth? The Lord Jesus. Let's read that out loud. The Lord Jesus. Now, everybody in here is saved, right? You just said it out loud. Isn't that what? No. It's a statement of truth. The means the only one. There's a lot of people that are going to miss heaven because they were willing to confess a Lord Jesus instead of the Lord Jesus. They were willing to believe in Jesus and their church. Jesus in the Mass. Jesus in their baptism. Jesus and doing good works. I remember one guy one time told I don't believe that Jesus can save me altogether without my help. Who do you think you are? What do you think you can accomplish that God hasn't already accomplished? How foolish can you be? 
Thee means the only one. Lord means Master. When I was being ordained into the ministry, there was a big conflict going on in, in some circles about Lordship salvation. And, and there was one group that said, if you don't make Jesus the Lord of your life and He controls everything you do, in essence, if you ever sin again, Jesus isn't your Lord and you're not saved. And on the other hand, they were saying, listen, you can't make Jesus the Lord of your life. You can't make Jesus save you. All you need to do is ask Him and He'll save you. And, and everything you do, is, is, it doesn't matter. Could I challenge you that both people were just as wrong? That if Jesus actually saves you, if He's actually your Lord, He gets a right to tell you what to do with your life. He, he has the right to expect things from you. But He has promised His power for you to do those things. See, that's the difference. He wants to own you. He wants to have possession of your soul. Why do you think there's so many stories about people selling their souls to the devil? It's to make people afraid to sell their souls to God. And by the way, we don't give our soul to God to get something. We give our soul to God because we owe Him something. Did I say that clear? Are we okay? See, when it says Lord, that means He's in charge. In New York State, if you have a car, you have a sheet of paper called the title. If you were to go home and sign your name on the seller's list of that title, legally you no longer own that car. Who does it belong to? Whoever writes their name in the, in the buyer's list. If you sign a title and leave it laying around, anybody and their brother can walk into your house, put their name on that title, and take you to court for stealing their car. But in case you get any ideas, as long as the registration is in the window, all the tickets are still yours. Don't you love New York? Now, what God wants you to do, my friend, is He wants you to turn over the title of your life to Him. Does that mean you're going to live perfect? We wish you, we wish you did. But ownership is now His. That's what the Lord means. Jesus is Savior. It's amazing what people are trusting in to get them to heaven. I'll tell you what I'm trusting in. It is finished. I'm trusting in an empty cross and an empty tomb. That's why we don't have crucifixes around here. Because Jesus died once. And He's never going to be put to a shame again. He is the Savior. Because He lived a perfect life and died in my place. It's that simple. What did the publican pray in Jesus' story of the publican and the Pharisee? God be merciful to me, a sinner. 
That's what he said. You see, it's not a magical formula. And we'll get to that in a minute. It's a confession. It's a statement of truth. I want to challenge you. As that man stood there and smote his breast and would not look up to heaven and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Was he not confessing the Lord Jesus? Yeah, he was. It says, And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Today's Greek Easter. I was reminded about midnight. All the fireworks started going off. And they kept going off. Because Giuliani's not around anymore. And Mommy Bloomberg is not around anymore. So everybody can shoot fireworks. Can't wait till the 4th of July. But they celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. Hey, you need to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord every day of your life. Because he died on the cross and he rose again. That's how you get saved. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. What's it say? Thou shalt be saved. That's it. The word of faith. I believe what the Bible says. I stopped praying prayers. August 28th, 1977. And I just asked Jesus to save me, and he did. I stopped trying to be good. I stopped trying to measure up. And I just trusted in what Jesus did for me. And you know what? He saved me that day. It was later. He would call me to be a preacher and send me here and all of the things that the Lord has done over those years. But that's the righteousness that is by faith. And if you have any questions, you see, the Bible is its own commentary, my friend. If you have any questions, read the next verse. What does it say? It says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Is is there anybody that doesn't understand what that verse is saying here today? I mean, we'll stop and I'll go back and explain it, but it just simply says that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It happens in your heart between you and God, and then things are going to come out your mouth. Amen? And it says, if you believe, you'll not be ashamed. Not if you do good works, not if you're baptized, not if you become a church member. Now, you should do those things. Not to be saved, but because you are saved. That's the difference. For there is no difference, verse 12, between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you're here today, and I know we have some of Greek heritage... Uh, The word Greek in your New Testament is not talking about people who have their heritage from Greece. It's talking about anyone who's a Gentile. So, if you're from Korea or Philippines or anywhere, we're all Greeks today. Isn't that wonderful? If you're not Jewish, the Bible that's what the word Greek in your Bible means. And so... 
If you're not Jewish, you come under the term Greek, and God will save us all exactly the same way, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now we come up to the end of this chapter, and it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah, or Isaiah, saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If you're here today and you're saved, it's because of one reason. You believe the words of this book called the Bible. That's what faith is. If you have anything else that you're trusting in, I want to challenge you, it won't get you to heaven. It won't help you. Only the words of God that you have made your own. You believe them. Faith is believing God's word to the point of obedience. That's what faith is. It's that simple. You can talk about faith all you want, but if it doesn't change what you do, it's dead. Read James chapter 2. If it doesn't do something, it's broke. How many of you bought something, some special tool? I used to do a lot of mechanicing, and you had to have special tools. And and they'd say, this tool will do the job. And you get that tool, and it didn't do the job. They lied. But I do remember on several occasions having to get us, having tried to do the job with every tool in every box I could get my hands on. I finally ordered the special tool. Zip bang boom done. Ah, oh, made me so mad. Why? Because I wasted so much time trying to do it my way instead of the right way. Faith is doing things God's way. But once you know Jesus as your Savior, my friend, you've got a responsibility. That responsibility is to tell others. You know, there will be people who will not make it to heaven if you don't tell them. Now, I believe in a God that will not turn away Anyone who wants to come to Him. But I don't believe in a God to program people to go to heaven and program people to go to hell. I don't believe that. That's not in your Bible. That's in John Calvin's textbooks. And he didn't show up until the 1500s. If it was really in the Bible, it had been there long before Calvin. God's given us a responsibility. Read Ezekiel. He told Ezekiel, I've set you up as a watchman. If you warn He said, I'm not going to require their blood at your hands. But if you don't warn them, I'm going to require their blood at your hands. That's what the last part of this chapter is about. And I know it's discouraging. Let me tell you, uh, 
I, I wish I had a dollar for every person I'd ever given the gospel to. I wouldn't have to have a salary. I'd be a rich man. But we don't have a big congregation. You know why? Because not everybody has believed. So am I going to get discouraged? No. The same faith that saved me keeps me telling other people. Amen? You see, faith cometh by hearing. And and I don't know how many times people say, well, preacher, I... I, I think I understand what you're saying, but it's just I'm just not there yet. Well, you see, grace you have. It takes grace and faith to be saved. Grace you have, the grace of God to bring us salvation hath appeared unto all men. That's Titus chapter 2. What you need is faith. How are you going to get faith? Well, I'm not trying to sell my own sermons, but faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You're going to get the Word of God if you come here. And if you can't come here, I'll tell you a place you can go. Hearing. It's the foolishness of preaching. It doesn't make sense. But it doesn't have to make sense. God doesn't want us to make sense. He wants us to obey His Word. And then all of a sudden it makes perfect sense now, doesn't it? Because my salvation is not based on what I do. It's based on what Jesus has done. It says, verse 18, But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the end of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? We're going back to chapter, verse 1, Paul's burden. First, Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation will I anger you. But Isaiah, or Isaiah, is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith all day long, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Read verse 1, chapter 11. I say then hath God cast away his people? God forbid. And Paul goes on to explain that burden. I wish we had time to keep it going. God has not cast off any people. Paul's burden was that Israel would be saved. He said they have a zeal, but it's not according to knowledge. And I would say that that application applies to most people who call themselves Christians today. They have a zeal, but it's not according to knowledge. They're too busy trying to establish their own righteousness, righteousness rather than submitting to God's righteousness. When I submit to God's righteousness, I judge myself as a sinner, condemned, deserving of an eternal hell. But I'm not going to heaven to check it out. And I'm not going to try to dig into the depths of the earth to try to check it out. Because the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, that if thou shalt confess. It's not a hope so. It's not a wish so. It's not someday maybe so. It's surrendering the Lord 
Jesus. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. That's all there is to it. If you are saved, you need to be telling people about that. There's a couple ways you do that. You know what the first way you can tell people that you're saved is? Baptism. That is your public testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. You know what the next way is? Go ye therefore. Some of you remember Ted Mansour. Uh, my brother-in-law, he was here for several years and then they got mar- married Sharon, Julia's sister, and they were here for a while and they've been out in Colorado for almost six years now. And uh, But the first time Ted went out passing tracks, Andrew went with him. And Andrew was only about seven or eight years old. And uh, Ted said, man, I was, he said, I was so nervous. He says, I was about to get sick. He said, and then Andrew was just taking me by the hand and he's just passing them out. And he said, if he can do it, I can do it. And started passing out tracks. Amen. It works. But, but you do that through the church. I've had people over the years say, Hey, Pastor, uh, you got any tracks from your church? They say, yeah. Well, give me some so I can pass them out for you. I said, well, we, we don't do that around here. Well, what do you mean? Well, we, we want people who are members of our church to represent our church. If you really want to pass out tracks that bad, why don't you come on Sunday morning? Never did. You know what? We don't want that kind of advertising. I'm sorry. Maybe that's mean. But, you see, God has a plan. Paul's burden was that his people would be saved. I have a burden that people that live in New York City be saved. That's why I moved here. That's why we started this church. I'm glad that churches all over this country shared that burden and helped us be established. And now we get to help other churches all over the country get themselves established. Amen? And truly it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's a whole lot more fun giving it out than it is asking for it. But in order for you to get saved, you've got to ask for it. You've got to call upon the name of the Lord. Then you have a duty to tell other people about it. But that happens through the church. You've got to get Get saved, baptized, then you serve. And can I challenge you? Don't, don't leave this life without giving a solid testimony of your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't let people doubt. Don't let people wonder. Some of you remember George Pendergast's funeral. I I praise the Lord for everybody that came and was there. Because I'll tell you what, 
Everybody in that place knew George was a Christian. There's nobody George ever met that had any questions about that. Now, was there? And people from our church were there praying, and I got to give the gospel to all those people. Now, you know what? As far as I know, no one accepted it. But they sure got it. They heard it that day. And George's life was a basis of that testimony. Tell you what, let's, let's be serious about this thing. Do you have a burden that people get saved? If you do, let's do something about it. If you're here today and you're not sure about your own salvation... Would you trust Jesus as your Savior? It's so simple. You can do it right there in your seat. You don't have to wait for the invitation. But if you get saved, would you tell us? Would you take away the doubt? Say, well, I'm ready to get saved, but I don't know about that baptism and church membership thing. Well, could I challenge you, if you're not ready to serve Christ, you're, you're not ready to be saved by him either. You, you, it's, it's a surrender to his righteousness. It's a surrender to him. That's what the word Lord means. If he's not enough of a Lord to command your obedience, we, we need to get real about our Christianity. And that's what chapter 10 is all about. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You. And Lord, we come to a point in our service that we have set aside, we call the time of invitation. Lord, where we invite people to act upon the words that have been preached. And Lord, primarily... The sermon this morning has been about getting saved, about trusting Jesus as your Savior. And Lord, my prayer is for those in this room, and there has to be some, that do not know you as their Savior. That they would be willing today to submit to the righteousness of God and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. To confess the Lord Jesus and believe in their hearts that God hath raised him from the dead. Lord, I pray for others that have made that profession, but they've never told a soul. They've never been willing to walk through the waters of baptism as a public testimony. Or to pass out a tract to tell another person about Jesus. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit have freedom to convict us of our sins. To bring us to repentance, to salvation. To bring us to a point where we would order our lives according to your words. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The hymn of invitation 301.